Welcome to episode 145 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anyone who likes going out under the stars. We have lots of people who write us and share their star stories and uh, so we'll we'll read a few of these ones tonight. I think we've we've had uh, had quite a few. I didn't I didn't put Clarkson about the RS off Yuki. Um, but uh, we kind of mentioned that a little bit in the in the last episode. And, uh, and we did have Clark on as a guest, so he, he's not being ignored. <laughs> yeah, very true. And, and, you know, the, we, we've have, uh, like three pretty good, um, observing reports, uh, from a few different people, um, that are really, really cool, like really cool observing reports. And I'm excited mm-hmm. to dig into these a little bit. So, um, should we just kick it off and dive right into the first one? You you go for it. I'm I'm kind of dragging myself a bit today, so uh, I'm sure. gonna I'm gonna hand this first one off to you because I think I think you were talking a little bit more with Antonio than I was anyway. Yeah, yeah. So this is from Antonio, and uh, uh, it's a fairly lengthy email with a lot of observing. It's uh, it's really good. So I'll I'll start it off here. So uh, hello to both, or hello to you both. Uh, since I last emailed you, I have received my eight inch daub, uh, this telescope. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's to me, one of the best telescopes you can buy. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, and I told Antonio this, that's the only thing I like I've, my cloudy night signature is I've bought and sold a lot of stuff, which is no exaggeration. The only thing I regret selling is my eight inch daub. So maybe one day I should, I should buy another one, but anyway, back to the email. Um, this telescope has been a huge game changer in my observations. Uh, while the cost wasn't too bad, uh, the cloud tax has been fairly steep. Uh, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> I, I guess living in a coastal town has some downsides. Uh, over the past few weeks, I was able to make it outside four times. Uh, the first time was with my girlfriend's nephew, uh, being that he is 14 years old, he was not up for doing anything with us. Uh, I convinced him to, uh, take a quick look at Saturn and everything changed. Uh, seeing the excitement in his eyes is the exact reason I wanted the telescope. Uh, the night itself wasn't that bad except for the near full moon, uh, meaning not much more was observed. Uh, this was also the first time in approximately four years since I've been able to see, uh, both Jupiter and Saturn. So I was freaking out a bit as well. And, uh, you know, just side note. Yeah. Like this is a great time to be able to observe, mm-hmm. you know, these two planets when it's not that cold out. So, um, yeah, they're just I, past opposition there. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm super excited for the coming weeks, uh, you know, to continue observing these. Yeah. All right. Cool. Back, back to the email. Uh, second time, uh, sorry. The second time had a forecast of almost perfect skies. Uh, this was incredibly wrong. Uh, I even invited my parents, my girlfriend, her parents, and her nephew. It was about 11 o'clock when everyone showed up and there wasn't a star to be seen. Mm. Uh, luckily, the planets were positioned right between a few clouds, meaning everyone got to see the planets. Um, on the third night, I invited a small group of my friends, uh, minus everyone minus my girlfriend's nephew, who is uh, too young to be fully vaccinated. Uh, this night started off showing them Jupiter and Saturn, uh, around 1130, uh, when it was down to just the three of us, I decided to start showing them more obscure objects. Uh, this included M57, M13 and M51. Uh, I've seen M13 quite a few times now, uh, but have been unsuccessful locating M57 and M51. 
the game changer is my Telrad came in. Uh, the Dob the came uh, with an 8x50 finder scope. And while it's useful, uh, the Telrad really made finding these objects easy. And I'm just going to sidebar again here real quick. I can't agree more. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, a Telrad or a red dot finder, like everybody has their own sort of preference, I think, when it comes to uh, finders and how they navigate the night sky. But for so, me... So what is a Telrad? Oh, yeah. Good good point. Uh, so a Telrad is known as a reflex finder. So it imposes, it superimposes basically like uh, some bullseye rings on the night sky. Um, it has a, a, like the switch is also a potentiometer. So you can um, uh, dim the, the uh, intensity of the red light uh, to almost invisible um, or extremely bright if you want it. Um, but these rings, I forget how how big they are. Like, like I think one is like one degree and then two degrees or something like that. Something like that. I think they go up to four degrees or five degrees or something. Yeah. So it, it, like you can kind of uh, extrapolate, you know, just pointing this thing at the sky, you know, if you have to go three and a half degrees west of a certain star, um, this just helps you get there. And it helps you point the telescope at the part of the sky that you want to be observing in. So I'm a huge fan of Telerads or uh, there's the, the Rigels or the, the Regal, however you want to pronounce that. Um, then there's a whole slew of red dot finders. Um, they basically all do the same thing. And, and they're such a great uh, you know, accessory to have. It really, in my opinion, makes finding stuff a lot easier. Yeah, zero power finders, uh, they, they get five out of five stars from from me anyway, but hey, let's. Uh, he he mentioned uh, a few objects here. He mentioned M13, M57, and M51. Uh, so what what is M13 and where is it? Uh, so M13 is a Messier object. Um, so the the M designation is is for the Messier objects or the Messier list. M13 yep. is a globular cluster up in Hercules, and it's uh, it's the you know showpiece cluster of the northern hemisphere by far. And uh, yeah, just up in the keystone uh, of, of Hercules. Cool. And yep. then M- M57? Uh, M57 is the Ring Nebula um, up in Lyra. Um, this star, I can't remember when it went supernova, but anyway, this is a star that went supernova. It ejected. Nova. Nova, or it, it, it 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 turned into a red giant and then gave off its material. So it's this would be a star that's less than less than about one point five solar masses, a star that's similar to our sun. Okay, okay. And then it then it would give out its its material. And that's why it's round. The the I think you're thinking of the one next door over in uh, Cygnus, just very close. There is the uh, Veil supernova remnant, but the but the uh, but the M fifty seven is is the result of a of a star that just um, basically swelled up and gave gave off its material and formed a, a planetary nebula. It's it, it's both stellar death. It's just the process is just just a little different. So the result is is a star that looks like a planet, or you know, kind of has grown to almost look like a out of focus dim planet um, versus just a like a scattering nebula. Yeah, yeah. Um, the ring nebula is awesome. Like it looks like a donut up in the sky um, yeah. and it can take magnification. Like that is something that you, you know, if the seeing and, and the transparency is in your favor, just pile on the, the magnification. And if you have a, a large enough aperture, 
um, a challenging observation is to see the central star uh, of the ring. I, I think it's like a magnitude 15 or something like that. It's very, very faint, but um, yeah. some of the uh, larger apertures can pull that out. Yeah. So if it was a supernova, that thing would have just been blown to smithereens or you might have a white dwarf somewhere, but I right. mean, it, it would just right. be, it would just be gone. Have you ever seen the central star in M57? No, no, I haven't. I, I, I'm not sure if I've seen it. I mean, I, we had a 25 inch on it a bunch of times and uh, I, there was one that I kind of thought I saw it, but I don't know. I, I don't know why it's so hard to see, you know, it's quite apparent in the photographs, but we could see other, I felt like I could, I could see fainter stars in, in and around it than I could. I don't know. It was, it was almost like by the time you're, you're getting so much aperture that it would make seeing a 15th magnitude star easy. Um, the nebula itself is so bright that mm -hmm. you almost want to put like a dot in the middle, like your brain almost wants to, to do that. And it's really hard to determine if it's just your brain putting the dot there. It's, it's sort of a weird experience. So Anyway, anyway, that's, that's my experience with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, and then the last object reference was, uh, M51, which is, uh, uh, a really, really cool galaxy in Canis Venetici. Is that, is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. I never yeah. know what. To... Yeah. That that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, my, my Latin's is as rusty as yours, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's also known as the whirlpool galaxy. Um, and for a lot of time, it thought, I think uh, a lot of astronomers assumed that one galaxy was kind of eating the other galaxy or, or they were colliding. Yeah. Um, but it's just an optical alignment. Uh, they're not actually, I don't believe they're interacting on each other at all. It's just, I don't think. Uh, yeah. 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 So there's, there's a fainter one there. Um, there's two galaxies, M51 and then, the fainter one is NGC 5195 or something. 94. Like that. 94. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, it looks like one of the arms from M51 reaches out to to that. But but it's a chance alignment. We actually looked at it quite a bit this past weekend. And uh, you know, it's amazing. You think about it, like M51 is a pretty bright galaxy. And even even uh, 5194 isn't, you know, it, it's a relatively bright galaxy. You think about how many galaxies are that bright in the sky as seen from Earth. There's not that many. The fact that two of them are lined up like that, I feel like the chances of that happening are astronomical. Oh, gee. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and a drum roll. Yeah. Um, nobody, no, nobody laughed on, on Saturday night either. Okay. Well, yeah. you know. Anyway, it's a galaxy. <laughs> Ursa Major. It, well, it's, it's off of Ursa Major, like you said, in Canis Venetici. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it's easy to find though, because you just come off the uh, the last star on the handle, and then you uh, you sort of head down towards the horizon, and uh, yeah, it's just off of another. There's like a faint-ish star there. I think it's like a sixth magnitude star or something, and it's not too far from that. Yeah, one of my most memorable views uh, through my 12-inch light bridge when I used to have it was uh, M51, and seeing the like the actual spiral arms, like that structure, just blew my mind um, yeah. because a lot of you know, a lot of galaxies that you look at, unless you're, you know, unless you have really, really big aperture, a lot of them are just sort of ovals or, you know, straight lines. Like they, they don't tend to show you a lot of detail. Now there are a handful that can, and M51 is one of them. And, you know, it was stunning. Um, like I, I, that's just one of those images that's burned into my memory. Um, very, very great or very nice object to look at. Yeah. Yes. What else did Antonio say? Yeah, so he said, um, uh, so the game changer, so my Telrad came in, uh, my Dob came with that 8x50, and while it's useful, the Telrad really made finding these objects easy. 
M57 was crazy. I have a coffee table book from the early 2000s and always loved looking at the photo. But to see it through my telescope is something else. Uh, I called my friend over and he was excited to the point where he had to remind or where I had to remind him that it was almost midnight and he needed to be quiet. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, I'm guilty um, of that, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I bring earplugs so that if I go to bed before you guys, I just put the earplugs <laughs> in and I don't have to listen to you guys all night. Yeah, I um, have an outdoor voice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, M51 uh, was an interesting object, uh, being that my skies are not all that dark. All that could be seen was two points of light with some haziness surrounding it. Yeah. Uh, what is intriguing to me is that while I should, or while I could see it, no one else could. Um, I know I was able to see it because I was describing it to everyone when I looked up and learned that M51 was in fact two galaxies, which is what yeah. I saw. But, um, you know, that, what he saw probably isn't too far from a, you know, a standard observation of yeah. that object. So that's, that sounds, uh, sounds like a pretty decent observation for an eight inch. And yeah. you know, you know what happens sometimes is that, you know, it is faint and if, and it sounds like he's not under like perfect skies, but he's, he's doing good considering if his skies are compromised at all and he's able to see that companion galaxy, that that's yeah. pretty good observing, yeah. but, but it might be a couple things like, so he's observed, um, a little bit already. And so he has some experience and that's going to give him an advantage. And then the other thing is that sometimes if, uh, if you're looking at something that's faint and the telescope is just out of focus by a scooch, and then people are coming in that aren't familiar with focusing the telescope and they're not, they're not able to, to get it sharp, then, uh, mm -hmm. then sometimes that, that faint, uh, that faint galaxy or nebula or whatever, uh, just, uh, is, isn't going to be easy for them uh, to see because it won't be in, in focus. No, that's, that's a good point. And, and, uh, we've talked a little bit about, uh, learning to see in the past and, you know, the, the first time you try looking at some faint objects, like even the Messier objects, or, you know, maybe not faint, I should say deep sky objects, um, you, you may be underwhelmed or you may not be able to find them, but the more you look at this stuff, uh, the easier they become to see and find, but also the more detail you start to be able to, to pull out of them. And that just comes with experience and, and time. So, you know, sometimes when you do show and, uh, you know, somebody who has no experience, one of these objects, they, they may not see it just because of the, uh, the lack of experience. Yep. Right. Um, the final observation was the first time I drove somewhere to observe about five minutes down the road from my girlfriend's house is the ocean. Uh, from there, uh, from there is nothing but water perfectly South. Uh, the sky was perfectly dark and clear while facing South, uh, facing Northwest was a small city. So the light was not all that good. Uh, equipped, uh, my new Telrad and I just wanted to see what I could find. Uh, I opened up my copy of Nightwatch and scanned Scorpio and was able to pick out a few Messier objects. Uh, from there, I moved to Sagittarius. Uh, here I found many objects, including the Swan Nebula. Uh, this nice. was definitely the highlight of the night. Um, and uh, he says, looking at photos, the Swan Nebula is cool. Uh, looking through a telescope is better. Uh, many photos you see, the red is too prominent. Uh, this drowns out the white swan. Uh, with a telescope, you see the swan out of nowhere, and it is amazing. And, you know, um, <clears throat> from my 8-inch telescope, when I used to have that, there's a, there's a number of observations that are burned into my memory. But the one, one of them is the first time I saw the swan. And I was at uh, Cypress Hills uh, here in the province at, uh, at the Saskatchewan Summer Star Party. 
and it blew my mind. Um, like it was such a well-defined nebula that looks exactly like, you know, well, I don't know if it looks like a swan. I think it looks more like a duck, but you know, each to their own. Uh, but it looks like a bird. And, uh, you know, I, I really like what, uh, Antonio says here about, you know, photos, it's red, but seeing it through a telescope, it's sort of a gray or, or like a white, you know, which is what a swan, you know, the color of a swan is. So that was pretty neat. Um, just to carry on here, uh, the night was mostly a test of the Telrad, which I think is the best purchase I have made. Uh, it is almost required. Uh, I was also testing the location. Uh, this location is a 90 second walk from my car, which isn't bad, but with a 50 pound telescope and eyepieces and a book, uh, it is one of the worst things I've done in a while. Uh, luckily I'm a big guy, so it's not impossible. Yeah. We, um, we won't give his height and weight, which he did. <laughs> uh, over the past uh, month of owning this scope, I've learned a few things. The Telrad is the most important accessory to buy. 90 seconds is a long time to carry a telescope. And most importantly, uh, sharing views is one of the most rewarding things I can do. Yeah. Um, thank you for putting out the podcast and here's to clear skies. And uh, Thank you. I, yeah. Thanks, Antonio. I couldn't agree more. Uh, with all of those comments. Um, and, uh, you know, in particular, the last one, you know, um, just sharing views is one of the most rewarding things you can do. And, and that's true. Um, you know, I think everybody, I've, I've never shown anybody the night sky and had them not like it. <laughs> you know, I think we all have almost an instinctual interest in the night sky and to be able to see, you know, the, the beauties that, you know, telescopes can, can show that, you know, exceed what we can see with our naked eye. Yeah. Um, you know, really wows people. And it's a, it's a great experience to be able to provide that to folks. Yeah. I, I also want to add, sometimes people like apologize for writing long emails. I can't remember if he did. I know other people have, Oh, like, sorry for the long email. I'm like, send us long emails. Like I really, <laughs> I, I really like it. You know, I like that level of detail, you know, and what I yeah. do is when I, when I see them, I'm like, okay, um, like if I don't have time to read it at that moment, what I'll do is I'll, I'll wait until I have, have time in my day. Like I, I look forward to it. Like if I'm working, like I'll be like, okay, when I, when I take a break at like 1030 or whatever, um, like I'm going to read that email and, and I'll sit there and, and read it. And I might get like halfway through one and then stop. And then at lunch, like come back and read like the other half of it. Like I, I love reading that kind of stuff. It's, it's really like, it's really inspiring. And then sometimes I'm like, Hey, like, like, like when, when we were reading that, I'm like, you know, I, I looked at M50 or I looked at M13 and I looked at M51. I'm like, man, why did I look at M57 this week? And I was like, next time it's clear and I go out, I'm going to go look at M57. I was like, Oh, so it was really, really great. Just, just to, just to see what other people um, are observing these days. So anyway, I I really enjoy the, the long emails. So, uh, you know, please, please write as much as you want. It's, it's, it's of great interest to us. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, next one on the list here is our voicemail from Phil, uh, Phil from the yeah. UK who, um, yeah, we haven't heard from him for a little while. Why don't you, uh, why don't you talk about, uh, Phil's message to us? Yeah. So, so you sent this, um, I think I was still away or it's around the time when I, anyway, I, I, I listened to it. Um, and then, and then kind of, kind of took some notes. So uh, he was, he was actually camping and on vacation as well. So, um, but sounds like he had some rain, uh, had some beach time, had some, some clear skies. Um, I wish we had some of his rain. Uh, looks yeah. like we're going to, we're going to get it. And uh, he's been enjoying some 10 by fifties 
I think as as well as a little portable uh, spotting scope that uh, that I think he's he's kind of detailed out uh, quite a bit. So what what he was comparing, I, th- I thought it was very interesting. He was he was comparing the ten by fifty binoculars with the little portable spotting scope. I, c- I can't remember the size. I guess it doesn't really matter, but it's just a small portable spotting scope that he can put on a tripod, and um, he was finding it more easy to navigate uh, the stars because. Um, he can he can just point it wherever it's pointed, and then he can keep going back and forth with his star chart, um, and then also like like that uh, that fixed position um, allows uh, easier sketching. Now I don't think it has a ninety degree prism. I think it comes out at like forty five degree angle or something. So you're saying you know it's hard, hard to look up too too high in in the night sky, but um, it's definitely a little bit easier uh, than than binoculars. Uh, but Phil was saying that uh, that he has, uh, and I, I've seen this as well with with lots of other observers. Um, he has a little bit of difficulty focusing uh, both eyes in the binoculars, and you know we're all on a spectrum of of ease of use of binoculars and the amount of gain that we get. So my eyes are far from perfect, but for me, a binocular is is a huge benefit. Like I get this huge increase in contrast and resolution. I, I don't know about you, Shane, but I really get a big bump with the binoculars because my visual challenges um, are, are overcome when I, when I use both my eyes, but I think you're kind of in the same boat, but by, by the looks of your gear list. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, the um, using two eyes is, is just so much more comfortable. Um, and yeah, you know, you do get a big boost in, in everything that you just mentioned, um, the other thing too, that I find interesting, and, and I only noticed this more so when I used to have a bino viewer, uh, with my telescope is like the image scale is amplified too. You know, you, mm. you can have the, let's just say 50 times magnification with a single eyepiece and, and the view is what it is. Um, if you put in a bino viewer and observe at 50 times, having both eyes, the image scale just seems to have increased. And I, yeah. I can't, I haven't really read anything about that, but it, you know, because the, what you're looking at seems like it's uh, bigger, uh, you know, the, 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 your ability to see detail within it seems easier as well. And, and the contrast and, you know, things you mentioned. So, um, you know, I, I do like using two eyes when I can. Yeah. But not, not everybody does get this bump. No. Um, and, and so, uh, one person that, that I know quite well is my, is my wife and she does she does not get it she does not get much of a bump at all using the binoculars she's actually same as phil has uh, she can't focus one of her eyes through the binoculars at all her her vision is actually pretty good um but she can't do that and and when she does use them she just basically closes one eye and uh and another person and this really surprised me um this was um, my friend tim long-term observing partner of mine and uh he also didn't get i think i think he was getting some, but, you know, they say the scale is something like between basically zero and 40% increase in contrast and, and like image scale and all this. And he would get a little bit, but he just was like, meh, you know, I can live with open oculars kind of thing. And I'm like, really? And so I showed him, like, I, I have a pretty, not, a, not super expensive, but they're an expensive pair of seven by fifties that are really high quality. And, uh, you know, I had him look through those. He was like, well, I can see the quality, you know, like, it's like, these are really good quality. I can see why you like using them, but, but he 
apparently like really didn't seem to get much of that uh much of that big bump anyway he he could live without binoculars and whereas i'm like i'm always taking my binoculars with me kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah every, everybody's a little bit different you know and um yeah i i think that like what phil is doing and in fact what the way he's observing is is a way that i observe uh quite frequently so i've got my 60 millimeter and and even the the new board 50 and i'll use those sort of kind of in and around with with my binoculars as well but yeah I'm, I'm right there with them on that like it's easier to sketch and you can use different powers and it's easier to look higher higher up and it's fixed so you can point it at something and walk away and then and then come back so so yeah i, I kind of i'm there with him uh with him on that so uh so yeah and and everybody is uh everybody's different everybody's going to enjoy observing slightly different ways and it's kind of part of the fun um i think he's keeping his spotting scope like in a lunch pail or, or something like that i thought that was that was pretty great i i tried using my lunch pail for something but i noticed that when i put it away like uh last year or whatever before the pandemic that i must not have cleaned it, it had some mold in it so it's it's gone out of the trash unfortunately but uh any anyway it was great to hear from film glad he had a had a good vacation and he took a real like he took i think a whole digital break and everything because he hasn't i think he said he he missed he was going to have to catch up on some podcasts and all this kind of stuff but but that's great i'm, I'm glad he uh, he took some time off and then i think we might have been tardy on getting a couple of podcasts out so um he, he wasn't uh he wasn't suffering from from that so <laughs> that's good yeah. 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 It was good to hear from him. And, and, uh, I think we mentioned on the, the last podcast that he, yes. he saw that, uh, RS. Uh, yeah. 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 The, the Nova there in, in off UK and, uh, and I think he did some outreach and, and saw some fireballs and, uh, and, uh, showed people some of Andromeda as well. And yeah, I saw lots of fireballs too. Um, from from the proceeds we had one that kind of, I don't know if it broke up in the atmosphere or it skipped in and skipped out. Um, but it was, yeah, it was pretty spectacular, um, uh, show of the Perseids there, uh, the other night. So yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Well on, on Friday when I was, uh, having my planetary session, um, I just missed a fireball. Um, and it was like quite visible in, in the light polluted city that we live in. Um, Mm. it was just like, I wasn't quite looking at that part of the sky. It was just above where I was looking and just this bright streak uh, flew by and, uh, pretty impressive. Yeah. I think, I think that's what I'm referring to. It kind of, it kind of came in and I don't know whether it broke apart or skipped out. Like it kind of, like it, it was super bright and then it kind of like went. Yeah. And we had one that, that uh, came in, um, it, it burned and it got brighter and went super orange. And, and it was like leaving the smoke trail and you could, but the meteor was still going. And I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> this could be bad. and then it kind of went out just above the horizon i said i thought we might hear that one (laughs) i was getting a little worried for a second so yeah 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 it sounds like the perseids were really good this year um hey cool speaking of perseids we had an email from eric who saw the perseids sounds like he took a took like a like a group out like a group hike to go and do some perseid watching and i love this email i i spent some time on this one as well so but maybe you can read it because I'm still a bit wonky from all my journeys. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this was uh, this was an amazing email. Um, so yeah, subject adventure under the Perseids. Um, so uh, hey, Chris and Shane, uh, for a public outreach event. Uh, so this is via our meetup.com group. Um, most folks are not Royal Astronomical Society members. Um, I planned a star hike last night uh, to the shores of a mountain lake to watch the Perseid meteor shower. And he and, sent us a photo of that yeah, mountain lake. Yeah, that was. A ridiculously beautiful photo. <laughs> yeah. And, and just for, for everybody listening, you know, just picture, uh, you know, like a, a, a postcard that you'd buy in a store of a lake with, you know, some mountains behind it. Um, and, and just Lush trees. Just, yeah. Just how picturesque that is on a postcard. That's exactly what Eric sent us. <laughs> this location looks incredible. Um, so a group of eight of us, uh, met up at the trailhead and set out on the trail about 30 minutes before sunset. Uh, everyone had their binoculars, uh, a few were photographers and brought nice cameras. And I had my eight inch suitcase Dobsonian in my backpack. Uh, after an hour of hiking, we arrived at the lake shore surrounded by mountains and we all got comfortable tucking into warm clothes and sleeping bags as we watched the belts of Venus sweep across the sky and the first stars came out. I bet you he's the only person who took an eight-inch Dobsonian to that spot ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, not many have a, a suitcase dob like that. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, that is. Uh, awesome. I love it. I love it. Uh, so meteors came early, uh, long before full darkness, and we oohed and awed as they began to fall. Mm. As full darkness finally enveloped us, uh, the entire sky was absolutely dazzling, uh, with the Milky Way cutting through the entire sky above the lake. Uh, the dense central bulge of our galaxy passed right through a valley between two mountains on the other side of the lake. Uh, standing right at the water's edge, the reflection of the stars in the water almost gave the sensation of floating in space, uh, with stars not only above us, but also below us reflecting up from around our feet. Um, everyone was so genuine in that moment. The sheer beauty of that sky caught many people off guard in a profound way, and conversations were often more philosophical slash spiritual rather than scientific. Uh, it really impacted many of us to the core. Uh, I wish I could have recorded some of the reactions and conversations of people who were experiencing this for the first time. Uh, it was incredibly moving, uh, unfiltered awe. The telescope barely saw any use. Uh, it was the big naked eye, full sky view that was so spectacular that people had never seen before. It hypnotized us all. Uh, there were several stunning meteors. One in particular that streamed alongside the Milky Way for seeming for seemingly forever. I think uh, was this on Friday night? Maybe that's when I saw it coming down uh, that I thought was <laughs> gonna yeah. hit. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I can't remember when he sent this. Um, yeah, he said maybe forty to fifty degrees of sky. Yeah, that sounds like the one I saw. Casting, yeah, casting shadows, uh, leaving a prominent smoke trail that lasted yeah. several seconds. Yeah, that sounds like the one. Yeah. Uh, and then he finishes off here just saying, uh, we packed up and began hiking back just after midnight. And we were all back in the city uh, by 3 a.m. safe and sound. Uh, I am not an astrophotography guy at all. So I only have uh, terrible cell phone pictures to show of the night. Uh, but I hope some of the photographers that were present are able to share a photo or two uh, of the night in the coming days. But still, even the best photos can never fully capture the same amazement uh, that is felt when you're out there under a cold, dark sky. Uh, facing skyward to the entire universe. Uh, transformative, what a gift. 
And uh, what an email. Thank you very much for that. Such a cool report. You know, this is one that I definitely lived vicariously through and just felt, you know, felt all of that. Um, it was really neat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll, I, I meant to ask him when I wrote him, I, I should write him and see if it was that night. Cause the one that I saw as well was just so bright coming down the Milky way. Uh, you know, the one that we saw when we were doing our public session. Um, but yeah, that, that, that spot just looked so just amazingly beautiful. And then he even had some pictures of, of the stars that he just took with his cell phone. Um, so it must've been so dark there because typically like our, our cell phones just won't pick up that kind of, uh, level of, uh, of starlight, um, you know, so it must've been just such a beautiful, uh, and dark sight. Yeah. Really, really pretty spot. Yeah. You know, that, that would have been a great, uh, or a great place to use our, um, our little homemade 3d printed binoculars that we have, Oh yeah, the, the two by 42s or whatever they are. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're basically like bionic vision. Uh, you know, the field of view is, isn't it like around 20 degrees or 15 degrees? It's, it's huge. And yeah, it's you know, like 20 or 25, I think actually. Yeah. It's yeah. Really wide. And it just two times magnification. Like it doesn't really like, you know, it doesn't really alter the sky too significantly where you're just, you know, seeing a porthole, like you're seeing, you're seeing the sky mostly as it appears to your naked eye, except you're just seeing a lot more stars and, you know, and, and some deep sky objects in there too. It's, they're so cool and they're just great for those types of nights, in my opinion. In fact, you know, next time there's a decent meteor shower, I think I'm going to just take those out and see, you know, how they, in, you know, I don't know if they would enhance the meteor shower or not, but it might be kind of fun to play with those. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, I have used binoculars on like the smoke trails when they come in and yeah, you definitely can see the smoke trails for a lot longer. Hmm. Yeah, that might be kind of a, a neat thing to to play around with, but but yeah, uh, some great emails from a, a number of listeners, and you know, as always, we we love reading these things. Um, not we, we we try to reference as many as we can. I you know I don't think we we reference them all anymore because we just get so many of them, but we love them. Uh, please keep sending them to us. We're um, actualastronomy at gmail dot com. And, uh, you know, if you, if you feel like sharing some of the observing you've done, um, yeah, we'd love to, to hear it. And, and even if we don't read it, uh, online, um, or like when we are recording, we, we always respond to all of the emails and yeah. we've had some really good conversations with a number of folks. Um, that that's been just a lot of fun. I really enjoy yeah. that part. Yeah, for sure. And, and sometimes, um, well, there's, there's one person we've been communicating with and, uh, or I think we're going to have him on as, as a guest on the show in, in, in the fall. Um, and then, you know, some other people um, we're just looking for, for different things. Like we did a shout out for Trevor last week for his organization. So, so yeah, we, we, we read everything. We actually, typically we both read them <laughs> and then uh, sometimes you'll get multiple emails from us, um, you know? So, uh, but yeah, I, I do enjoy reading them uh, as well. So thank you so much, everybody for, for sending those in. We, we do really appreciate them. And, um, you know, it, it's really like an unexpected thing. We, we get on here and just kind of ramble on, or at least I do about my own personal observations. And, you know, I, I didn't know if we didn't know if people would be that interested in that. And, uh, and then people are kind of sort of, uh, mirroring that back to us with, with their own uh, explorations of the sky. And it, it's great. Like we get uh, newer people who, who are sending us, their observations. Um, we're getting people who are long-time observers and, and people from, from different parts of, uh, of the world. It's super cool. 
Yeah. Yeah. It is really, uh, it is really good. I, I love it. Excellent. Well, Shane, anything else to add? Uh, no, that's everything, Chris. Sounds good. And thank you everybody for listening and thanks so much for your, uh, for your emails and conversations. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>